Church family, you're not cold anymore, are you? I'm telling you what, that'll make a man that can say amen. So rich and so good. If you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to continue your worship by finding the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you would be so kind as to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, whether you have a printed copy of God's Word, as I prefer and encourage you to bring to church, or you have a device, I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching from verses 6 down through verse 10. We are in a sermon series through this book written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And our current series, the second series of this journey through the book, is called The Wisdom of God. Corinth was an eclectic city. A thousand different worldviews collided in this very important Roman outpost. It was a Greco-Roman culture influenced by Greek philosophy, by rationalization of human wisdom. There was this infatuation with deeper thought and great teachers who could wax eloquently and make complicated and sometimes convoluted arguments. When the gospel came to Corinth, folks got saved. They came to Jesus and a church was Born, But this church was not immune from being influenced by the world around it. No church is. It's why all churches at all times in all places must always continue to hold the truth in front of the people of God. We are weak. We are frail. We are easily influenced. We must be reminded and encouraged by the truth of God's Word. That's why corporate worship is so significant. It's why those of you who are watching online and your health will allow you, I invite you and ask you and encourage you. And as your pastor in love, I challenge you, come back to church and be here in person and be here live because when we gather together and declare as we've just done in song, it encourages our heart to hear truth sang. And then, of course, my opportunity is to encourage our hearts by hearing truth spoken from the spoken and copied Word of God. And so Paul found himself burdened for this group of believers who had become wrongly infatuated with worldly wisdom. They were thinking that the secret to life is somewhere deep within the human mind or the human heart. And so one of the things he does in writing the book of 1 Corinthians is he reminds them There is a big difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Any of you as a child ever remember being infatuated with finding hidden treasure? Treasure maps? Sometimes you'd be out playing and you'd find something and you were convinced it was valuable only to drag it into your mother's kitchen and she'd say, throw that trash away. Or maybe you got enamored by the back of a cereal box. That was my device growing up. It's the best thing I had to look at. And there would be some code you would have to crack in order to solve the mystery or the puzzle. Even adults can become infatuated with hidden treasure. In 2004, a movie came out called National Treasure starring Nicolas Cage. And it is the story of this famed 
national treasure that was so great and so massive, filled with historic artifacts and fine jewelries from the history of the world, and it was possessed by the Freemasons, this is the mystery, by the Freemasons at the founding of the United States of America. And it was hidden because they believed it was too great a treasure for any one man to possess. And so, what you find in this action-packed thriller is that Nicholas Cage is the son of a treasure hunter who loved America. In fact, his character is Benjamin Franklin Gates. So Ben, in the movie, along with his dad and a couple of other characters, have to steal the Declaration of Independence, flip it over, find a secret map on the back, only to locate this national treasure, which was five stories in the ground below a historic church. And they finally find it. Now, they found it having stolen the Declaration of Independence. I know that we have become a society soft on crime. But I imagine they frown on stealing the Declaration of Independence. Now, the FBI agent, who also is a Freemason, bringing together the unity of the spot line, finally confronts Ben after Ben does something alarming. He finds the treasure, and he turns himself in. It's so great that it belongs to the people. What was once hidden in mystery, now that it is found, is too valuable for one person to hold. I could not illustrate the wisdom of God any more than that. A mystery and a secret but the secret is now out. Let me show you what I mean, beginning in verse 6. Yet among the mature, Paul writes, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age, verse 8, understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and then Paul quotes a portion of Isaiah, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I'll close with verse 10 today. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul's answer to a world infatuating with finding the secret hidden wisdom of life is to say, wait a minute, there is wisdom for life, and it is from God, but it's not a secret anymore. It was once mysterious, and you need God's help to find it, but God has not given you a riddle to be solved. He has given you something far greater than that. How do we know that the secret is out? How do we know that this treasure has been revealed? This passage reveals three ways in which we know. First of all, the dismissal of the wisdom of God is revealed by death. In other words... We know that the wisdom of God is the true wisdom for life 
in that everyone that dismisses it ends up losing their life. The direction of the world proves that the world's wisdom does not work. All of you, including myself, have made decisions I deeply regret. I've sinned in my life. So, so have you. We're all the same. I don't know the individual sins that you find most regrettable, the sins that you struggle with the most shame, perhaps sins in your past that you struggle to forgive yourself for. There's a word of God for you for that, but you have those, I have those. Even though God has forgiven me of my past failures, my mistakes, and my sin, he has not removed them from my memory. He no longer holds them over me, but I am well aware of the times in my life when I have been righteous and unrighteous, faithful and unfaithful, and so are you. And one of the common denominators of my greatest mistakes, of my most wicked acts of rebellion, of my moments of failure, is that they never led to anything good. They never paid off. They never created any fruit or joy in my life. Some sin may bring temporary pleasure, but it always leaves us empty and wanting more. And one of the things that Paul points out in this passage is that the presence of death actually proves how empty the world's wisdom is. Now, let me show you what I mean. Look what he says in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now, there's some debate, I'll be honest with you, about what Paul is talking about. There are only two categories that he could be referencing. Is he talking about mature Christians or is he talking about Christians? Now, the Bible elsewhere teaches that with inside of the Christian life, there is a progression of growth. When you are first saved, you're called a babe in Christ. And the goal is not for someone to just remain there. The goal is for all of us to grow in our maturity. One commentator I read this week I thought was rather powerful when he said, there's a lot of interest in being a Christian. There doesn't seem to be as much interest in being a mature Christian. So we know the Bible teaches about maturity. But, but I, I would argue that here... He is contrasting those who are mature with those who are lost. And here's the reason why. The word in the original language for mature in the Greek also is a word we get fulfilled, complete, or perfect. Now, there's two ways you can use the word perfect. One way is without any blemish whatsoever. So God is perfect in all of his ways. But there are other ways you use the word perfect. In other words, if you, because you love me, go to Krispy Kreme on my behalf, and you deliver to me a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, and I open it, and there are 10, and there's a little sugar on the corner of your mouth, because the hot now sign was hot now, you did not deliver to me a perfect dozen. A perfect dozen doesn't speak to the perfection of the donut. Now, don't get up and go to the cafe with this illustration, please. A perfect dozen does not reference the perfection of the donut. It's the fact that a perfect dozen is 12. For those of you who may not know, that's why a baker's dozen is 13. The baker makes one for herself or himself to sample in order to put the 12 out there. That's why we call a baker's dozen 13. Some of y'all going to drop that in my word. Oh, you know, you know what a baker's dozen is. A baker's dozen. A perfect dozen. Your child may bring you a piece of art, and when they hand it to you in all of their glory, you have no idea what it is. 
There's no value according to the world. You say, sweetheart, thank you. You hug their neck, you kiss their little cheek, and you say, it's perfect. It's whole. It's complete. It's all you intended it to be. That's the word here. So what Paul is saying is, to true Christians, to those who are complete in Christ, it's not that I'm bashing wisdom. We give real wisdom, God's wisdom. And one of the contrasts between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world is that the wisdom of the world always leads to death. There are two deaths in this short passage. I wonder if you noticed them. Look what the Bible says beginning in verse 6, second phrase. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So Paul is saying, It may look like people in this world have all the wisdom or the power or the influence or the ability to determine what is right and wrong, but they're all doomed. One day, one day I will meet Ukrainian Christians who are with Jesus today that died, that died this week. I'll meet them one day in heaven. I won't meet Vladimir Putin. Unless he has a change of heart, he is an example of someone who is intentionally using his power to do that which is wicked, a ruler of this age. And Paul says, hold him up and look. Every person that attempts to find their hope and their purpose in human want or desire ends up losing their life and losing their purpose and losing their hope. It ultimately destroys. But there's another death mentioned in this passage. It's not just the death of the doomed. It's the death of Jesus. Look what the scripture says beginning in verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory, for our glory. Now look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Paul says they didn't get it, and here's how we know they didn't get it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. By the way, if you love studying the person of Jesus, in that tiny power-packed phrase, has everything. Crucified means he was human, fully man. You cannot kill God unless God becomes flesh like you and I. Crucified the Lord of glory the full man of God and the full son of God in Christ crucified as the Lord of glory. And Paul says this proves that they didn't get the wisdom. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on the church, this is after Jesus dies and is resurrected and ascends into heaven and he promises the pouring out of the Spirit onto the church. When that happens, Peter stands up to preach. And when he preaches, he says, I know you crucified him, but you didn't know who he was. You acted in ignorance. In fact, Acts chapter 3, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your, what's the word? Rulers. Peter knew what Paul knew. There is always a system of power at work in the world that is adversarial to the cross. 
Some people have argued, is he talking about the spiritual rulers that we struggle against? You know how Paul taught us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the rulers and the dominions of, of, of the evil force? The, the truth is we're not given the definition of this passage, but the answer is yes, it's both. Don't you know that the enemy is loving the fact that innocent lives are being taken in a war-torn country like Ukraine today. The enemy rejoices over abortion clinics. The enemy loves to see those strung out on meth stumbling around in the road as I encountered a man even this week who almost got hit by traffic and was literally so messed up that he could not put three sentences together. So I stayed with him until the cops came. Do you know the enemy loves and enjoys those moments? Because, Jesus says, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One of the things we find in worldly wisdom is that it laughs at sin and makes little of it. The problem is, is that even in my own life, my experience with sin is that it stings in the end. That it, that it never pays off, that it never rewards, that it never gives fulfillment. And so if you're ever wondering, how do I know that the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of the world? Just take a look at the world. See the amount of death and recognize that's not the wisdom of God. But then the text turns to a positive note. The wisdom of God is not just revealed in death. The wisdom of God also is shown in another way. The goodness of the wisdom of God is revealed by our glory. I did a sermon series back in and around Christmas called Glory. And one of the things I taught you is that God doesn't share his glory. That's true when we define glory as the worship due his name. But there is another glory there is another way to interpret glory. There's another way to see glory that God not only shares with his children, he desires for his children to experience. So, so let me give you the passage and then I'll explain. Look what the Bible says in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. It does not say for his glory, though he does get all the glory, but for our glory. Now, the moment Paul writes this, he launches into worship by remembering Isaiah's words when he says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can you see two more contrasting ideas? Death and doom, the destruction of the Son of God, the crucifixion of this perfect, sinless, beautiful Prince of Heaven, and then the death of all those who would reject him is the First revelation, but then he says, let me tell you another reason why we know the secret of God's wisdom is out. For those who have been given it, all of a sudden the joy and the glory for their life changes eternally. One of the things I love about this passage is it sort of gives us the history of the mystery. In fact, if you look, look what the scripture says in verse 7. But we, now Paul's saying, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. Now, there are several ways to understand this, but what he's saying is, 
It was once not known to man, but now it is. Paul's not saying there's a private group of people and only a few folks are allowed to hear. He's saying that what was once caught up in mystery has been fully made known. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God. Now, where did this wisdom come from? Was it a reaction to what the world is doing? Mm Mm-mm. In fact, it existed before the creation of the world. Look what the scripture says in the second phrase of verse 7. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So sometimes I like to ask you to sort of blow the walls off your brain. We can get so focused and succinct. You know, we're thinking like, do all the kids have their shoes on on the way to church? We've done that before. We've brought them where they've not had shoes on, you know. What, what, what are we going to feed who for lunch? What do I have to do tomorrow? I have that same life that you have. I get it. I understand it. I look at my calendar moment by moment. My life is to the minute, literally to the minute. I get it. But sometimes in the preaching event and in listening to the preaching, we're challenged to get above your calendar for just a moment if you would. Get above your year, get above your decade, get above your life, get above your generation. If you know Christ, if you've been saved, you have a relationship with him, you don't have to worry about your eternity, you're going to heaven. In fact, you're not just going to go to heaven, you'll be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know how that works, I don't know if there's a holy escalator, I don't know. But there's a new heaven and a new earth, okay? And when you and I if you're, if you're truly born again, when you and I are in this new heaven and this new earth, we know it is the picture of perfection that is most accurately seen in what God gave Adam and Eve at the beginning of the creation. In fact, one of the most beautiful pictures of what our future will look like is the Garden of Eden where there is no sin and there is perfect harmony with all that is created. Now, everything else is going to pass away. The only, thing, the only two things that last in this life forever are the souls of human beings and the Word of God. Everything else is passing away everything. And the souls of human beings will live in one of two places. They will either live in the glory of God's grace forever and ever in his presence in a new heaven or a new earth, or they will be consigned to eternal punishment in hell because of their rejection of his son. That's what the scripture teaches. It's not a popular belief. It doesn't matter to me. It's what the Bible teaches, what Jesus said. Jesus is who I'm going to put my faith in, and I trust him. And so the eternality of hell and the eternality of heaven are codependent. We would love to say everybody goes to heaven and it's forever. And if there is a hell, it's temporary momentarily and only a few wicked people go. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says narrow is the way to righteousness, but wide is the path to destruction. And so you and I, if you have a relationship with Christ, will be with the Lord and many of your loved ones, I hope, and many who you've not yet met, the brothers and sisters from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. In other words, you can come over to my porch, and we can sit and talk for 10,000 years if we want to. Forever and ever and ever. Some of you try now. Forever and ever, forever and ever. When we're there, according to this passage, God knew that moment before he made Adam and Eve. In other words, you do not serve a God who has been reacting to a world gone awry. You serve a God who decreed this redemption story before the ages of known 
history. That should blow your mind. That of everything he has accomplished, and of all of humanity, that by his grace, he would reveal his gospel to you, give you the gift of his Holy Spirit, the forgiveness earned by his blood, and the promise of an eternal home, and everything God has provided for you, he decided to do it before he made Adam and Eve. That's the kind of wisdom I want to build my life on. Not the wisdom that is the last five minutes of whatever is politically correct in our pop culture. I want to build my life on a wisdom that has glory for me. Not that my glory is equal to God's. Not that I would ever desire to take his place. Not that I deserve one note of worship. But that the Son of God would bestow upon the daughters and sons that he calls unto himself the privilege of being his children. This is why even Paul's mind is blown and he grasps back in history to come up with a verse to try to describe what he's feeling and what he gives us is what the prophet Isaiah said when Isaiah said, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You know why you should be thankful for your year? You be thankful for your generation. Be thankful you've been born now and today and you live in this place. Because for many, many years, many people chasing after God longed to look on his redemptive plan. Wanted to know what is the answer to sin. This is exactly what Peter says. In the book of 1 Peter, he writes these words. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So they preached grace was coming, but they weren't quite able to see how. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So Jeremiah's grasping, Isaiah's longing, Obadiah's hoping, Zephaniah's preaching. They know God is going to deliver his people, and they preached to that end. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that you have now been announced, you know, announcements is the stuff you get out. You want people to know. To you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When I hold the Bible and have the gospel, I have something that the angels long to study. And one of the things that amazes us as human beings is that we are always preoccupied with more and new and better and Paul is saying, wait a minute, the greatest mystery has now been revealed. The greatest hidden treasure has been unfolded in the wrinkles of grace over time. And you have it. And when we see it in the passage, we see words like what he says in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What did Jesus say? Just a few weeks, we will celebrate Palm Sunday. When we do, surely you will read in a devotion or you may hear a preacher preach on radio the famous last words of Jesus. What did he say? As they nailed him to the cross, he prayed, 
Father, forgive them, finish the sentence, for they know not what they do. So even Jesus recognized that they didn't understand fully who he was. If they had, there's no way they would have driven those nails through his wrist and through his ankles. What's going to fix your marriage? What's going to help you as a mom or a dad? What's going to help you deal with the struggles of your past? Perhaps there's been someone who's victimized you and you feel wounded and vulnerable. How do you deal with anxiousness or discouragement or selfishness or fits of anger? Whatever your struggle is, maybe it's lust, maybe it's impatience, maybe it's covetousness. How do you do that? Is it this book? Is it this uh, physician? Is it this strategy? God has given us a world of wisdom, and I think Christians can take advantage of much of what people have learned, but at the root of the problem is my heart, and my heart can only be changed by Christ. And in my submission to him and his word, I am allowing the great mystery now revealed of the wisdom of God to change me from the inside out. I may not change my spouse. I may not change my circumstance. I may not change my adult child. I may not change the brokenness in my family. I may not change my physical condition, the cancer in my body or the issues I may have with my heart. I may not change the government I live under. I certainly can't change the geopolitical tensions of the world stage. But I have a Savior who by his wisdom can change me. And when I get discouraged... I have to think about that moment, that moment when all these struggles are gone. And in that moment, when I am there, while it'll be new to me, God says, yeah, I thought about you before I made Adam. I made provisions for you to be here and for you to hear my gospel before I made Adam. What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, my eye has seen and my ear has heard, for I am the Lord God of Israel, and I spoke all this into existence. And all of a sudden, you begin to understand that the wisdom of God is so good because it's for our good. I'll tell you who I've never met. I never met the woman who lived by the wisdom of God and regretted it. I've never met the man of God who lived by the wisdom of God and said, you know, I I wasted my life. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. But I have been in many deathbeds, and I've never seen an old saint regret one day that they lived by the wisdom of God. There's one more reason we know that the secret is out. We know the secret is out because the secret of God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. Notice the capital S there. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to really get into this next week. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Love the Holy Spirit. Look what verse 10 says, and I'll close where we close our paragraph. These things, what are the things in the these things in verse 10? Well, it's what no eye has seen and no ear heard, no heart can imagine what God has prepared for those who loved him. These things God has made known. God has revealed. It's not a mystery anymore. The secret is out. But how did he do it? Through the Spirit. Notice the capital S. This is the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, we're not going to go into verse 11 in detail, but let me just read it. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. More on that next week. But Paul ends this thought with this beautiful reality. What was once hidden in the wisdom of God has now been made known by the Spirit of God, which means the pressure is off of me to figure out my life or to figure out my God. And actually, this gives us a great definition of what wisdom is. You know what God's wisdom is? Let me give it to you in a very succinct sentence. The wise acts of God in the salvation of man. In other words, this weekend as we talked about the gospel with our students, one of the things we want them to connect is the gospel to every part of their life. In other words, there's really no issue in my life that's not connected to the gospel. Now, there are certainly times in my thoughts or my words or my behavior that I'm not honoring the Lord. You have those moments in your life as well. But, but whether I'm being a husband or a father or a neighbor or a friend or a pastor, uh, an employee, a, a wife, a mother, whatever role you put yourself in, and all of you wear many hats, every behavior, every thought, every decision is in essence connected to your relationship with the Lord. Lord, how would you love my husband? How would you love my wife? How, how would you help me with my child? How would you honor my boss who's hard to work for? How would you care for my employees? Lord, what do you want me to do about this broken situation? Now, that requires that you be in relationship with the Lord. Well, to be in relationship with the Lord is to experience the gospel, to have a relationship with Christ. So in essence, it's pretty simple, every area of my life Everything in my life is connected to the gospel, the good news, that which God has revealed in his wisdom. But then how do I take the truth of God's salvation, this magnificently large redemptive story, and apply it to my little old life? Well, first of all, I remember my little old life's not little to God. He does not see me or you as insignificant. We are made in his image, and he loves us. Let me tell you how valuable you were. You are worth God shedding the blood of his son. So whether or not you think you're valuable, God determined that you're valuable. But if he just told you that and left you and I in our human state, I may comprehend it, but then how do I unpack the truths that God would have for me in my life, through my life, to the lives of others? I got to have some juice. I got to have some power. Something's got to make it work. You ever been real excited about receiving something and you can't get it to power up? I want you to know it's amazing what you can do with a really sharp chainsaw. But if you ain't got no gas, and now it's $83 to fill up your chainsaw, <laughs> you ain't got no gas, doesn't make any difference. One time I bought a monitor to sit on my desk that blew the screen up because I'm getting older. My, my, my MacBook screen's kind of small, and I type and write a whole lot. And when I stare into the screen, I, I can't even get down the stairs. So I bought this monitor, and I was so excited. And it had one of those little plastic tags on it. And I tried to break it, and I couldn't. You know those little plastic ones that are so tight, they'll cut your finger if you try to pull them apart? Well, I just pulled my knife out. I sliced the power cord right in two. I hadn't had this thing out of the box for three minutes. Well, you know what I did? I stripped that power cord and I 
made me a homemade deal, and I wired it all together. And so now I have my monitor plugged up, but if the children play under me, they get shocked. <laughs> I don't care. They deserve it. But the thing is, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you have. If there is no power in it, it's useless. Paul says, all this mystery and this wisdom that has been searched for has now been revealed. The secret's out. It is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we are saved. In fact, verse 10 says, and I'll read it again, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So we know that God's depths are deep. Psalm 95 says it this way. I love this. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Paul kind of picks up on this in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom. Hear that word? Wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his Ways. And then, of course, in Ephesians 3, he writes famously, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Notice Paul didn't find it. It was given to preach to the Gentiles what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Which means this mystery is revealed to us through the power of the Spirit working in our lives. Now, let me drop that in your Monday. Tomorrow, when you face a difficult decision, Stop. Stop reacting. Back up and say, Lord, I love you. I believe that you're my Savior. Which means I believe, Holy Spirit, you live in me. I'm very upset right now. What would you have me do? Oftentimes, I love you, church family. You know I love you, right? Oftentimes, though, in love, this is what the Lord would say. Shut your mouth. Stop. Set in my presence for a moment. And have enough faith to believe I can work in this situation without you using the venom of your tongue to fix it. And then as you back up, he will give you discernment of what the other person is thinking. Why would they feel that way? What what is the precursor to this? Why does this keep happening? What is the pattern? And what you'll find is that the more you submit to the revelatory nature of the Spirit, I'm not suggesting that the Spirit of God gives you words more valuable than the Bible. This is His Word. But as you feast on His Word, as you get your daily dose, as you read the Word, and as you invite the Spirit to reveal that mystery, that wisdom to you, what you'll find is that it's not about how fancy you sound or how awesome you sing. It's the depth and the maturity and the consistency of the decisions you make. We often associate the Spirit with emotion. It's not a bad thing to show emotion in the Christian faith. That's a good thing. But but you really want to ask me, what is the telltale evidence of a woman of God listening to and responding to the Spirit of God? I'll tell you, she's mature. She's consistent. She has a love of Christ in her, on her, and it comes through her. And the same for every man in this room. Those people that we come in contact with that seem to walk and move by the Spirit, they're not better than us. (laughs) It's not that they're immune from sin or that their lives are perfect. It's that they recognize the wisdom of God in Christ is not something you have to go look for. It's given to you in the gospel. But... Even though the treasure has been found, you could spend your whole life 
do an inventory of the depths of his grace. In 1922, Howard Carter, a British archaeologist, discovered King Tut's tomb. In, modern, in the modern world, this may be one of the most famous discoveries. Think about a tomb over 3,000 years old with a fully intact mummy. I mean, they made all kind of mummy movies about it. He found it on one day. It took him 10 years to inventory it. He was so meticulous, and he recognized how valuable everything was. All of the contents were shipped to a museum in Cairo, Egypt. And he spent 10 years inventorying this great treasure. Found it in one day but experienced it over 10 years. Friend, you can get saved in a moment, but you get to spend the rest of your life not looking for wisdom, but inventorying the vast wisdom of God in the gospel now revealed to you and me. You don't have to look for the treasure of Christ. He's made himself known. The search is over. But you can spend the rest of your life inventorying it, enjoying it, never exhausting his depths. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to apply to our lives. Lord, I don't need a better Savior. I don't need a new way to live. I don't need secret or hidden mysteries. I don't need to search the depths of my own heart or somehow find relief in the corners of my broken brain. Everything that we have for needs, wants, desires can be fulfilled in Christ. Paul said, Lord, him we proclaim. He is enough. So the question is not me finding more wisdom. It's diving deeper into the depths of my Savior's wisdom. It's letting it be less DJ and more Christ. Lord, I confess to you as a man of God, but a very normal man, that's a daily decision. Church, I know that this message was pretty deep took you in some directions you may have never felt like you'd go and maybe I taught you some things but if you could walk away with something the next time you find yourself in a struggle think about him think about what he's done in your life think about his goodness think about all that he's given you and think about in the fraction of a moment your life is a vapor but because of Christ you don't have to fear death <laughs> you don't have to fear anything man or woman can do to you you have been made complete in him I just want you to know if you're listening to this and you say you know I don't know if I'm that complete <laughs> I know about Jesus and, uh, but I don't know that he's truly my Lord can I just tell you that Everything about the wisdom of God has nothing to do with confusion. He is not interested in you living in doubt.
you, you don't even have to leave this campus in doubt today or turn off your TV screen or your computer monitor. Today, today, you can talk to somebody. I can't say enough good things about the men and women in our prayer room. They're incredible. They never, ever break a secret. They're confidential, trustworthy, and they're up there right now praying that somebody will duck their head in the door and say, I need to know that I know that the wisdom of God is Christ in me. If I ask you, the minute we dismissed, I hope you'll make your way to that prayer room. Many of you have made that decision. Can I just challenge you to live out this song we're about to sing? To think about the Lord. To swim deep in the endless sea of his love. To dig deep in his word. To walk in the garden of his grace. To climb the mountain of his might. And to sit and bask in the heavens of his glory. I promise you, you'll live different if you do that in your life. Father, we love you and we just want to worship our way out this morning. You be found of us as we do so. In Jesus' name.